Psalm 30. I will extol you, O God, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime, is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face from me, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And all God's people said, let's pray together. Our Father, we've come together this All right. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Let's pray. Our Lord, we do ask that you would open your word to our understanding, that you would show us indeed how to walk under your guidance and protection and in a way that brings praise to you in this treacherous, dangerous world. We ask this of you Good Shepherd, Redeemer, Deliverer, Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. Just to step us down into this letter again, who is, God, who is Paul dealing with? He is dealing with the people of the province of Galatia. Paul had gone to that province. God gave Paul an unsolvable health problem. And he had cried out to God. He had problems with his eyesight. And we have been praying. A few minutes ago, we were praying for literal physical health issues that people have had sometimes for years that have not gone away. Paul had an issue with his eyesight that would not go away. And it caused him to go to the province of Galatia because that was a province that had a reputation for a, an herbal cure to this issue. He could go there and perhaps 
God would use that to deal with this eyesight issue. And of course, he goes to the province of Galatia, and Paul's going to do standard operating procedure. He's also going to preach the gospel, and he preached the gospel, and preached the gospel, and preached the gospel. And in that, in that province, several congregations were created, at least one, but probably several congregations were founded by the Holy Spirit through Paul's preaching. Paul discipled them very, very deeply. They got the truth. They got a two-handed grip on the truth. And they were walking in truth, and they were walking in joy. And then Paul left the province to go back to other ministries that he had been engaged in. And they were full of joy. He was full of joy. And then... Judaizers came in. We don't know if these people were professing to be Christians or not, but they were Judaizers in the sense that they were ethnically Jewish, but they came in with this format of understanding that you walk with God according to the law, according to the book of Leviticus, and you be these, these wonderful law keepers. Well, who's, who founded those churches in Galatia? Who did, humanly speaking, who did God use? He used this man whose background was he had been a Pharisee. He had been a Jew of Jews. He had been not only a keeper of the law of Moses, the Pharisees actually had all kinds of extra laws, extra things that they added to the law of Moses. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to, in fact, even separate themselves from the standard Jewish culture to be, we are the super Jews, we're the super Jews. And by the way, you had to be fairly wealthy to be a Pharisee because to take the time to do it, to get the education to do it, to get the status and all this stuff. And that was exactly the background of Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. And God takes this Jew of Jews, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, and trans so transforms him, he sends him to the Gentiles. The people who don't even know what a Pharisee is and couldn't care less. <laughs> and so Paul is going to these Galatians, these Gentiles, <coughs> with nothing but gospel truth. <coughs> and the freedom. What is the great declaration Paul has already made in this letter? You come to faith in Jesus Christ. You stiff arm. You step away from, by God's power, you step away from the paganism. He brings you into the true and living God who is holy, authentically holy, sinless holy, brings you into fellowship with him. He does that by having sent God the Son, became flesh, Fully a man, true God of true God, true man of true man, Nicene Creed, joined together in one person, and he went to the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and all of the punishment deserved by the human race is poured out on him. He finally says, it is finished, it's paid in full, he has paid the sin debt of the human race, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Paul, Saul of Tarsus, become the Apostle Paul, is pointing the Galatians to the Redeemer, Jesus of Nazareth. And all of our sin is cleansed. Not only are we forgiven, 
not only is our debt removed, but replacing our debt is the very righteousness of God the Son attached to my account. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We step in. That's what the word justification means. Yes, your sins are forgiven, but the righteousness of Christ is added to to your account, and you stand before the holy God as if you had lived that perfectly righteous life of God the Son, come become flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. Folks, that's an outrage. That's can we call that good news? Can we call that gospel? Yes, we can. That was the message of Paul to the Galatians. And not only that, but having brought you into fellowship with him, the number one proof that you're authentically his is that God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triunity, takes up residence within you, enabling you to walk with God, before God, with a holy walk. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Paul's letter to the Galatians. What he has done so far is he has rebuked the Judaizers. He has shown that the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, does nothing but condemn us. It's not a fix. It's a, di- it's a diagnostic tool to show us our problem. The fix is in the Redeemer. And the law drives us to the gospel, to the mercy of God. It drives us to the mercy of God. That happened to the Galatians, and they are, they're in joy. They're in joy until the Judaizers come in and say, oh, no, 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 that, that fellow the, called the Apostle Paul, uh, he is a uh, traitor to God. He is a traitor to God's word. He's a traitor to God's law. You need to become uh, legalists like us. You need to become legalists. This is the way you walk with God. Is you, you keep the law of Moses that's laid out in the, in, no, you don't. No, you don't. You cast yourself upon God's mercy. And way back 600 years before Jesus' birth, and I know I'm saying this every Sunday, but you need the reminder. I need, what is it? Jeremiah 31, 31. Say that. Jeremiah 31, 31. I'm going to make a new covenant with you, Israel. Because the covenant I made with you on Mount Sinai, you shattered in every conceivable way. That was the fix that didn't work. Now, God knew it wouldn't work. It was designed always to drive them into his arms begging for mercy. I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Not like the covenant we made on Mount Sinai, which demanded performance for you. No, I'm going to do it all. I will, I will, I will your sins and iniquities remember no more. That's the new covenant declared 600 years before Jesus' birth. And Jesus initiated the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm about to carry out the work that enables the enforcement and availability of the new covenant. And that's what the Galatians were invited into. The Judaizers who have come among them and said, no, 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 no. We need to do the Sinai thing. We need to do the Sinai thing, which does not work. It doesn't work for them, and it's not going to work for you, and you guys already know it. 
so he's actually already done this straight from the shoulder punch to the face of the Judaizers and rebuking them for even being drawn to it. Chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have been, become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Again, verse 1, stand fast in the liberty which, by which Christ has made us free. You were invited to liberty. You could stand before the holy God. You could walk before the holy God in his enabling, Holy Spirit enabling power. Having been forgiven, you could actually walk in an authentically holy, yikes, holy way. God sets you free from the power of your fallen nature. Did he set you free from your fallen nature? No, it still resides in you. It's a daily, constant, constant battle, but you are no longer obligated to obey your fallen, sinful nature. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. By the way, this should remind us of the Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he talks about spiritual warfare. Stand, 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 stand. The heavy infantrymen had no obligation to charge the enemy. His job was to stand, to stand and hold his ground. Paul's saying to the Galatians, stand and hold your ground. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again by a yoke of bondage. When you were pagans, you were in the pagan yoke. And they're inviting you to a yoke that God says in Jeremiah 31 doesn't work. The law of God never, it accomplished God's purpose and intention, which was to show them their need. It never was a successful format of a walk with him. Indeed, I, Paul, say that if you become the smallest <coughs> departure you make from walking in God's <coughs> redemptive liberty, breaks the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't add just a little touch of law. No, it's grace, it's God's provision, it's God's provision, period, over and out. That smallest touch of legalism drains all the power out. We are welcomed by God because of the work of His Son, plus nothing ever. Plus nothing ever. It's the provision of His Son on the cross it's the provision of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. You just stepped away from all of the resources that Christ provides to you. You can't, it's not a two thing. No, it's a one thing. It's Christ or the law. You can't join them together. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised, he is a debtor to keep the law. The law is an all or nothing thing. 
You've become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, and, and that's something that you do. Oh, really, that Jesus thing on the cross? No, God really is, you know, God really loves our law-keeping. Do you know what the Bible says? All of our righteousnesses, the best we can boast of are as filthy rags. And I've said it over and over again, folks. That's a very polite translation. It's a lot more gross than what it's translated. It, all of the best we can boast of is as filthy rags to God. No, you don't want that. It doesn't work. Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You've, set, you've stepped aside from him. You attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen away. From, you have fallen from grace. I don't think he's saying you've become hellbound sinners again, but he is saying you've stepped away from the format that God has provided, and it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You have fallen from grace. You've stepped. It's grace or nothing. Grace over here or law over here. It can't be a mixture. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Through the Spirit, we're eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith. You know, the day is coming. Whew. We're going to be welcomed into the presence of God. We're going to be yanked out of our shoes or yanked out of our graves. We're going to be welcomed into the presence of God. And our fallen natures are going to be left behind. We will be unrestrained in our, in our, na in our nature we will be absolutely Jesus' reflections, Jesus' replicas when we are brought into, swept into his presence. Whew, I can't wait for that day. <laughs> we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Why does he say through the Spirit? Because God the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is the down payment he supplies to us our daily energizing power. But the fact that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit is the number one reality that Paul points to in his letters that we have been welcomed by God. We, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, the fulfillment by faith. We wait for that in hope by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But faith working through love. What is the format of our walk with God right now? Faith in his promises, in his presence, in his provision, working through love. A trait of walking in the Spirit, walking in God's energizing power will always be love. Love, love, love your neighbor as yourself. We just went through a series in 1 John. John jumps off the page constantly in 1 John. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stephen, love your neighbor as yourself. Hobby, love your neighbor as yourself. Tom, love your neighbor as yourself. Ginny, love your neighbor. Uh, you've said that already, Ginny. Yeah, I want to make sure you get it. Love your neighbor. It is the acid test. And if you do not love your neighbor, you are not loving God. Don't tell me you love God if you don't love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Love. That is the acid test. That's becoming a servant of your neighbor. 
That's becoming a servant of the person that you wouldn't naturally walk up to and walk with. No, you do walk up to them and walk with them shoulder to shoulder in order to become their. You go out of your way to serve. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. The test is always, do I love my neighbor as I love myself? Well, I do for him what I would do for myself in that same situation. You ran well. I can say of you, Galatians, I saw you do what I just described. I saw it. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. I have confidence in you that you're going to hear what I'm saying here. And you're going to go back to the format that I laid out before you in the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. I laid this format out before you and you're going to return to it. I have that confidence. You don't let people hinder you from obeying the truth. We are not only to have faith in God's promises, we're to obey God. We are to obey Him in His enabling power. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from Him who calls you. It doesn't come from God. And all it takes is a one drop of poison afflict you. That one drop is enough to drain all the power and authentic righteousness out of your walk. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. God's going to judge the people who have been perverting, subverting your faith. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? You know what? If you add any measure of human works to the gospel of Christ, you know what happens in all the cultures? The persecution goes away. The persecution is only on those who declare that Jesus alone is the Redeemer. Only the work of Christ redeems, both in the eternal sense of bringing us into a welcome with God, the holy God, and the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit for our day-to-day walk. You add anything to that, and the persecution goes away. The persecution, because the world will... What does Satan know? Why does Satan withdraw his persecution? Because Satan knows... That one drop of poison has gotten his job done. I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? He wouldn't be. Then the offense of the cross has ceased. 
I don't need what the Roman emperor offers. I don't need what the pagan gods and goddesses offer. I don't need what the Judaizing, Judaizers, the false teachers, the Pharisees were false teachers. I don't need what they have. If I still preach circumcision, why do I, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. The minute you add one drop of human works, the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross is that Jesus got it all done. Paid in full. It is finished. It is paid in full. I got it done. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Again, I had a wonderful experience this last week again, and I'm sharing this for the hundredth time. I went into the bank, and I said to the teller, have they told you yet what the secret word is? Because when they interview you for a, in this banking system, when they interview you for a promotion, they're going to ask you a question that they haven't warned you about. Do you know any secret ancient, do you know any ancient financial terms? And you're going to be able to say, of course, I do. Everyone knows tetelestai. Tetelestai. That was used in both the marketplace and in the Roman court system. And yes, they spoke Greek in the Roman court system, not Latin. Even in the Roman Senate, they're screaming at each other in Greek, not Latin. Tetelestai was paid in full. And that was the word that was written across your, your bill in the marketplace when you paid it. And also in the Roman court system, if you were convicted of a crime or a series of crimes, they literally wrote out a bill listing your crimes and the penalties. When you had paid your crime bill off, they wrote to Telestai, paid in full across your crime bill, rolled it up, and handed it to you so you could take it home and nail it to your front door. So all your neighbors would know you paid your crime bill. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, God has taken the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, the list of all of our crimes against heaven, and nailed it to the cross. And I told this young lady, the teller, this, and she got really excited. That's really cool. And so now when I go into the banks, and honestly, this has happened over and over, I say, what's our word? And they say, to tell us die. And they explain it back to me. Well, folks, yeah, I'm for that. But that's exactly what Paul is laying out here. Circumcision accomplishes nothing. You brethren have, verse 13, you brethren have been called to liberty, freedom. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. You've, you've, cre you've got to welcome with the holy God because of work, Christ's work on the cross. You've also got the enabling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Brethren, you have been called to liberty. You've actually been set free by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to walk in a way that reflects God's holiness. Yikes. Yikes. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. God hasn't given you this liberty, so, oh, now I can go do what I want to do. No! Now you get to become His Holy Spirit-empowered servant with an expectation of kingdom glory. 
For you, brethren, have been called for liberty. Only do not use your liberties and opportunity for the flesh, but through love, through love, through love, serve one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. <coughs> for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you're loving your neighbor, hey, guess what? Look at that. I'm keeping all the rest of the law. By the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you bite and devour one another, what have these Judaizers done? They've caused you to start arguing with each other. They've created conflict between you, as, you, as brothers and sisters, but also conflict with God. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you also consume one another. This ultimately will result in the destruction of your congregations, your fellowship together. Go back to square one. Go back to what the message was that I brought to you, which you loved, which you reveled in, which you partied in. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, even the Judaizers, why are we supposed to keep the law? So you don't satisfy the lust of the flesh. Well, guess what? Trying to keep the law doesn't accomplish that because that drains you of the power. But if you walk in the Spirit by the Holy Spirit's enabling power, look at that. I'm actually walking in a reflection of God's own holiness. What? Yeah, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, your fallen nature. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. They're in conflict always with one another, demanding control so that you do not do the things that you wish. You know what? You don't get to do what you want. You're either going to be a servant of the flesh or you're going to be a servant of the Holy Spirit. But if you are a servant of the Holy Spirit, you get to walk in victory with God and you're actually glad to be second in command <laughs> instead of first in command. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh Lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. You don't get to obey yourself. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And you're actually glad for the outcome. Now the works. Now we have a fellow over here that's a professional coach. And if the players actually do what the coach says to do and they coordinate their activity on the, on the basketball court or on the football field, they coordinate their activity in the proper way, lo and behold, they win the game. <laughs> That's the outcome. Now, they do one play at a time, one action at a time. But when the final bell rings, or the, you know, when, the, when it's all over, Oh, look at that. We won. But you do the immediate task the coach assigned to you first. 
one by one by one by one, and it leads you to victory. If you are led by the Spirit, that coach known as the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. You're under His enabling power and direction. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. We, it's not hard to figure out somebody walking in the flesh, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. There are all kinds of manifestations of this. Hatred, contentions, arguments between people, jealousies, I want what you got. These are all in violation of the Ten Commandments, by the way. Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders. If you can get away with it, yeah, I'll take you out. If I can get away, if the sheriff's not watching. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, when I walked into your culture, and that was what was displayed in front of me, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't go back to where you were. But the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what did he just describe the fruit of the flesh, the world of flesh and the devil? This is what it looks like if you're walking in the, in the, according to the world system and the strength, the enabling power of your own fallen nature and the devil himself. That's what it looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, notice the fruit of the Spirit. When you're walking in the Spirit, when you're actually by God's enabling power doing what God says to do, you're focused on your, that immediate task, that immediate task, that immediate challenge, that immediate thing. And then, oh, Look at that. I just did something, a loving act for somebody. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is serving your neighbor. Washing feet. That's not me. I'm not, left to myself, folks, I'm not a foot washer. But by the Holy Spirit's enablement, I can be a foot washer. Joy. All of the world's happiness is built on stuff that's around. Joy is an emotion that rises from within us. And that is a what caused the explosion of the gospel in the Roman pagan world, in the surrounding pagan worlds, in India today, in the, when the persecutors see the people they're persecuting respond with gladness to the persecution, what in the world? Are you insane? I am mistreating you horribly. I am threatening you. I'm even threatening to take your life. I'm threatening you with torture. Why do you have that outrageous, ridiculous smile on your face? Because God the Holy Spirit is enabling me with the truth that I'm about to step into the glad embrace of my Savior. Yay! Joy! Yay! 
wait a minute, you're supposed to be whining and crying. You're supposed to be begging me not to do it. No, 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 no. You're about to shove me into my Savior's arms. Go for it. (laughs) What? That's insane. Well, if you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, walking in His power, you get to walk in joy even in the most troublesome times. I believe I've shared this. This is an amazing testimony. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist denomination. He was the son of an Anglican priest. He got ordained as an Anglican priest. He goes over to the colonial province of Georgia. He is a super, super legalist. He is a real, I'm going to say, he's a jerk. The British governor of Georgia kicks him out of the colony because he's a thorn in his side. He's going back to England in a sailing ship. This is in the early 1700s, folks. And they're in the middle of a big storm. And he is scared to death. He's an ordained Anglican minister. He's sitting in the hold, scared to death, scared to death. And there are these three or four men over here that are all joining in praise to God and, oh, giving praise. And what is going on? I am this super committed Christian Anglican priest, and I'm scared to death, and these people are giving praise to God. Well, they were Czech Moravian brethren. They were the spiritual descendants of the ministry of Jan Hus, who was burned at the stake a hundred years before Luther was threatened. And there they are. What, what do they know that Wesley doesn't know? They know the Savior authentically. They are expecting, hey, if I'm about, if we're about to go down and drown, we're going to be embraced by the Savior. No problem. We're for that. Well, they did survive the storm, got back to London, and Wesley went to a Czech Moravian Brethren meeting and there in London, and somebody read Luther's introduction to the book of Romans, and that's where he first got the gospel straight. This ordained Anglican minister got the gospel straight. As he said, my heart was strangely warmed, and he was brought into the kingdom. Sort of like that uh, Pharisee Saul of Tarsus got yanked into the kingdom and became the Apostle Paul. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It was the joy of those Czech Moravian brethren that drew the attention of John Wesley and brought him into the kingdom. Peace. They had peace, they weren't afraid. Of the threats, they were bowing in need of the threats. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. Uh, Yeah, doing the right thing day after day after day after day, hour after hour, doing the right thing. Long-suffering, kindness. You do things that are surprising to you, acts of kindness for other people that you would have been quite willing to walk away from. Instead, Jesus pulls you over to actually say a word or carry out an act of kindness. Goodness. Where do we get the word God? Where did the English word God come from? It came from the word good. 
because the Christian God was the first God the people of Europe heard of that was good. And so they took that word good and, cre and came up with the word God. He is the good deity. He is the good deity. He's the good deity. He's good, 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 and that eventually got compressed down to he's the God, the good one. Goodness, faithfulness, loyalty, gentleness, not harshness, gentleness. For many years, my wife and I and our kids along with it, we had horses. There's a, there's a couple different approaches to training horses. One is the harsh way, where you climb on their back and they are bucking around and you're using your spurs on them and, da -da -da, and they finally submit to you. Or there's the kind and gentle way where you take the time it takes and they submit to you because of your kindness, not because of your threats. Gentle, and that's gentleness. Self-control, not loss of control of yourself because of your lusts. No, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Look at that. I'm actually keeping the law. If I focus on keeping the law, I can constantly fail. If I focus on walking in the Spirit, guess what? As a byproduct, the law gets kept. <laughs> and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with his passions, his desires. The flesh hasn't gone away, but his power has been broken. By the indwelling power of the, the, power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we don't have to obey the commands and incitements of our fallen nature. Those who are Christ have crucified, broken the power of the flesh with its passions, its desire. If we live in the Spirit, and it is by the Holy Spirit's work that we are made alive to God, brought into the kingdom, we live in the Spirit by His work, let us also walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't done with the job when He shepherds us into the kingdom. His job is now to walk with us in the kingdom. And we walk in His enabling power. Let us not become conceited. What is, con what is conceit? It's where you imagine a reality about yourself that doesn't match the truth. <laughs> Let us not become conceited. Let me give you an illustration. This is, you've all heard of Joseph Stalin. Every year, when Stalin took over as the dictator of the Soviet Union, they would have a massive meeting of the Communist Party, people coming from all over the Soviet Union, and they would meet together in this massive, several thousand people there, I'm sure. And when Stalin came out on the platform, walked out on the platform, everybody rose up and started clapping. And they would go on and on and on and on and on and on for two or three or four hours until finally someone would say, I've had enough and he'd stop. If you were the first one to stop clapping, you got executed. 
That's why they kept going and going. They didn't want to be executed. Stalin was a self-worshipper. This is a man who claimed to be an atheist. No, he wasn't an atheist. He worshipped himself. He worshipped and he demanded the worship of the people of that party and actually the whole nation. That's what conceit is, is self-worship. And that produces what? Provoking one another, envying one another. Provoking you to anger. I'm a competitor with you. And envying what I want the worship or the attention you've been getting. Envying one another. No. We are to be servants of one another by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And that's Paul's big straight from the shoulder teaching here when we went through 1 John. What was John's straight from the shoulder teaching over, oh no, the same thing. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Don't worship yourself. Don't serve yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. What's Paul saying? Love God, love your neighbor. And this is what it will look like. This is the byproduct Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what serving each other will look like. And if we live in the Spirit, if He brought us into the kingdom, let us also walk by His enabling power. Let's join together in prayer. Our Lord, we thank You that we are children of grace and mercy there's anyone here this morning it is not confident that they have that relationship with God I would encourage you to pray with me right now Lord Jesus I want to 